and welcome to the What The Heck podcast, a show that looks at mysteries and the unexplained. I'm your host, Glenn. Every week I look at something unexplained, telling a story or describing it, then look at the theories surrounding it. I won't give you any answers, because I don't know them myself. I'll just give you what you need to decide for yourself. Research is done as academically as possible, and references will be given after the stories. The episode this week is a history episode. We're looking at the Dighton Writing Rock. Near Berkeley, Massachusetts, runs the Taunton River. After the colonisation of the east coast of the US, it was just seen as a normal river, because why would they think it was anything more? There had always been a large rock poking out of it, and nobody thought anything of it, until 1680 at least. In autumn of that year, a man named John Danforth visited the city of Taunton, Massachusetts. During his trip, he went to the town of Dighton and saw the rock. It was known beforehand that there were some kind of drawings on the rocks, but nobody had attempted to record them. Danforth took the time to draw what he could see, and the mystery was born. Danforth's drawings only show the top section of the rock, because the rest would have been obscured by the water of the river. He forwarded these drawings and written descriptions to the Royal Society of London. In these, he suggests that the images are Native American in nature. This would be pretty logical, since they were the original inhabitants of the land. These documents are actually still in the collections of the British Museum to this day. In 1689, the rock resurfaced in history as part of a sermon by Cotton Mather, a scientist and possibly one of the most influential recorders of the Salem Witch Trials, which was later published. I need to note that Mather didn't take part in the Salem Witch Trials, but did involve himself through letters and a prior book written about a case of possession that he had observed. Regardless of that, when speaking of the Dighton Rock, Mather didn't speculate about the images on it. He just said they were writings from a previous era, explaining that no man alive knows how or when they were made. He believed that a group of explorers aligned with Satan had settled in the area before the Puritans arrived, only to die miserably. He suggested that the rock was a remnant of that group. In 1767, Ezra Stiles, the then president of Yale, declared the drawings to be Phoenician in nature. The Phoenicians were from the Mediterranean, around what is Lebanon today. They had a huge network of seafaring trade in the area. Stiles theorised that they had travelled to North America for something and left the carvings on the rock as a testament to their visit. Ezra Stiles' theory gained traction in Europe, where John Danforth's drawings received renewed attention from British and French historians. Some concluded that Armenians had made their way to North America through Siberia, and others tried to connect the drawings to Native American tribes and Asian explorers, 
suggesting that some of the characters had come from Japanese or Chinese explorers, maybe explorers from other parts of Asia. When George Washington toured New England in 1789, he visited the rock and said they were similar to carvings that he knew about in West Virginia, saying that they were definitely Native American in nature. The story had come full circle, returning to John Danforth's original theory. That was the answer to the mystery, it seemed. Until 1837, at least. Danish writer and historian Charles Christian Raffin published the book Antiquities Americani, which went into great detail about the Dighton Rock. In the 40-page analysis, Raffin concludes that the carvings were made by Vikings, saying that the writing read, Thorfinn and his 151 companions took possession of this land. In 1912, Edmund Burke de la Barre made a new claim. It was Portuguese. De la Barre, a Brown University scholar, had been summering in the area for years, spending hours trying to interpret the writing. He eventually concluded that the Portuguese explorer, Miguel Corte Real, had written the inscription. Miguel had left Portugal in 1502 on an exploratory voyage. He was never heard from again. Delabar said that the inscription said, I, Miguel Corte Real, 1511. In this place, by the will of God, I became a chief of the Indians. In 1963, the rock was moved from the riverbed by conservationists. A museum was built for it in Berkeley, Massachusetts, and the rock was placed there. In its new home, it continues to inspire controversy and theories from visitors. In 2002, one of these controversies was that the inscriptions were actually Chinese and were evidence of the Chinese discovery of America. Not much more is known about the rock, though. Dighton Rock has been theorised about for over 300 years. I've briefly spoken about the theories because they seemed relevant to talk about, but let's look at them again and see what we can find out. First, we'll look at the original theory, that the rock was inscribed by Native Americans. John Danforth first suggested this, and George Washington backed it up much later. There is evidence of petroglyphs like this across the US and is extremely prominent in Vermont, which is relatively near the rock's original location. Rock carvings are known to be ways of recording stories, histories, births and deaths, mark boundaries and even spiritual experiences in Native American cultures. It's possible that the rock in the middle of the river is actually a territorial marker but it's just as likely that the rock depicts some kind of historical event. Its positioning in the middle of the river, though, is confusing. Was the river always there? Or did it begin to flow that way after the carving of the rock? 
The idea that the Phoenicians had carved the rock is very similar to the idea that the rock was carved by Norsemen. They were both suggestions from different times and both are about groups of people from across the Atlantic. There are theories that the Norse managed to reach North America during their age of exploration and colonisation. So it is possible that they could have stopped off in Greenland or Iceland and made their way from there. The Phoenicians being there is intriguing though. Way back in episode 10, I talked about the Roman jars in Guanabara Bay, Brazil. One of the theories in that episode suggested that the great Phoenician store was there. If that's the case, North America really isn't too far of a stretch there. Unfortunately, archaeologists have rejected both of these theories because it would require such a huge revision of known history, but also because it's believed it would have been too impractical to travel by sea that far. Edmund Delabar's theory was that it was evidence that the explorer Miguel Corte Real had reached the area in 1511. Miguel is known to have sailed around the coast of Labrador, which is around that area, but went missing in 1502. Delabar said that the inscriptions on the rock were actually an abbreviated Portuguese-style Latin, translating it himself. The monument has become popular in Portuguese culture, apparently known as the State Explorer Rock. The theory itself is criticised by many people, though, who cite unusual abbreviations and vague lettering as reasons for rejecting the theory. There's a bit of an out there theory from Delabar as well. He claimed that the rock had a hypnotic effect on anyone who studied it for a long period of time. He implied that the people who study the rock are usually able to see what they are looking for within the carvings, which would mean that all of these theories are irrelevant because they all see what they want to see. It suggests that the rock has properties that most rocks don't have. Being able to hypnotise people with some carvings sounds like some kind of magic, but it's more likely a psychological trick. The rock's effects have been compared to Rorschach tests or the inkblot test, which helps psychologists see inside the subconscious mind. However, the idea that Dighton Rock has the ability to do that has been seen as a pseudo-scientific explanation and is often discarded. Whatever the Dighton Rock is, it sounds like we're never going to translate it, if it can even be translated. From what we've learned here today, it's probably best to avoid studying it for too long. The story from this episode came from a New England Historical Society article called The Mystery of Dighton Rock, No Man Alive Knows. The theories from this episode came from the previous article and a historic mysteries article called What are the inscriptions on the Dighton Rock and who wrote them? References for the episode and links to studies will be posted on social media for you to have a look at. Social media links are available using the link in the episode description. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and still plan to post short pieces of episodes on TikTok, as well as putting the episodes on YouTube, but that's going to involve me getting time to plan that properly. 
I have a Patreon, but I'm still deciding what to post on it this season. There's a £3 tier if you want to support me anyway. The link to the Patreon is also on the link tree, and as before, you're more than welcome to pledge three, more than £3 a month, and I'll find something extra special for the people that do that. My email address is also in the episode description if you want to send me spooky stories, unexplained events, or even mysteries you want me to look at. If I get enough, I'll set up some listener episodes to read them. Please don't hesitate to email me if you have any corrections or issues with the things that I've said. Once I've seen the email, I'll make sure to correct myself. This week's Creature Feature will be out on Saturday, and next week's episode will be out on Wednesday, December 21st. So hold on until then.